Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who just five years into my legal career found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. So that I didn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided it was time to redefine success from the inside out. Fast forward a few years and it worked. I had a thriving legal career balanced with a fulfilling life. What I learned is that you can achieve the success you want without sacrificing yourself in the process. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Do you have to choose between having balance and making money? Must you choose between the big goals that you have for your career, like being made partner, building your own book of business, getting that book of business to over a million, and then maybe two million, five million, ten million, becoming an equity partner, being a firm leader, maybe of your office, region, or practice area, starting your own law firm. The list goes on and on. I say no. No, you do not have to choose between one and the other. It's not an either or thing, but there are some caveats that we need to cover, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. Hey there, this is Heather Mulder with the Life and Law Podcast. I'm super excited that you join me here today because today's topic is near and dear to my heart. I see this so often in new clients, people coming to me who say things like, is it even reasonable to expect to be able to work less as an equity partner within a big law firm? How could I possibly have balance when my list is always growing, my list of things to do, right? I cross something off and it's like three things magically appear on it. I don't make enough money for how much I'm working. And I see the partner down the hall with the size of business I think I want They don't have a life. How on earth can I do this? These are the things I hear all the time. And I got to say, there are some things that you need to know in order to make what you want a reality. And when I say make what you want, I'm talking about having a more balanced lifestyle between how much you work and how much you get to do all those other things that you want to be doing, like spending time with family, having hobbies being able to take care of yourself, doing charitable activities, other things that do not involve work. Which, by the way, notice, y'all, that it's not work and then the rest of life. The rest of life encompasses a whole lot of categories, right? And I think that's part of our problem there. If that is you and you tend to think of it just in that very compartmentalized one versus the other, I highly recommend after today's episode that you go back and listen to another episode where I talked about work-life balance more specifically about what it really is and why this compartmentalization tends to work against you. So I will link to that episode in the show notes. Definitely go back and listen to it. It was one of my first ones. I think it was like my third or fourth episode ever recorded, and it is still a very relevant episode and one that would be a really good partner to today's. But let's get into kind of, I guess, the caveats that I mentioned earlier that I want you to understand so that you can achieve the things you truly want, both at work and in life, okay? So caveat number one, you can't have it all, at least not all at once. And frankly, (laughs) 
I would argue you can't ever have, quote unquote, it all. But it doesn't matter because you don't want it all anyway. So serious question, what does having it all even mean? Does it mean everything you could possibly want? Or does it mean what everyone thinks you should want, have, do, manage, and so on? I would argue that a lot of us, especially us attorneys, tend to think it's the latter, not the, not the former. So we tend to define having it all based on what other people define as having it all, not so much what we define as having it all. And that's just unreasonable, number one, because you can't do all of those things. You can't have all of those things. You can't be the end-all, be-all to everyone and everything. And it's also really, you know, think about this. You don't want it all because a lot of those other things are defined by other people based on their priorities, their values, their needs, the things they care about, not the things you care about. So there's too much under that definition. So I want you to really think about, well, how have I been defining what that means anyway? And do I want that? I would argue you don't. I like to think of this having it all kind of way of thinking is a lot like, I remember when I was a kid, we would go every so often on a Sunday when we were visiting our grandparents, Mima and Charlie, they would take us to church. And after church, we would go somewhere for a big buffet. And they used to have these huge buffets on, especially at special occasion, like weekends, like around Christmas time for, you know, like the month leading up to Christmas, around Thanksgiving, sometimes also around July 4th, and then around Easter as well. And we would go to this buffet and there would be so much food there, right? And as a kid, it all looked awesome. And I would think, oh, I need to have a little bit of everything, which was never possible, right? But if I really looked at it and thought about it, and once I started going through it, I realized, well, I don't want everything. Because some of this stuff I don't actually like that much. <laughs> so why would I want to try it in the first place? It's something I don't really like. So that's what I like to think of having it all as. You want to actually start to get more specific about what you want, what your priorities are, and how your values relate to what you want so that you can cut out all that other stuff, that stuff that you don't really care about anyway. And one of the things I want you to really be wary of here when it comes to having it all, the problem with having this belief, this I can have it all, I want it all, I must do it all, this this all thing, is it convinces you to take on people, clients, uh, business work that are out of total alignment with your own values. They're misaligned. So for example, I have a client who wanted to have a particular size of business. And she thought the only way to get there was to take on anything, everything that was within her industry, right? Was it the type of work she could do? Yes. Type of client she could represent? Yes. Well, then she took it on. And she did that because she was trying so hard to get to this magical number that she thought she was supposed to get to as an equity partner once she made equity partner. What that ended up meaning is she took on clients that she didn't really like that much, that ethically were misaligned. And when we were working together and working through this, she started to realize that, 
you know, maybe 20, 25% of her clients really did things in a way that she didn't feel was right. They weren't illegal. They weren't unethical from the, you know, legal perspective, but she did not like the way they chose to do business. And she didn't feel very good about that. So what having it all does is it convinces you to just go do everything no matter what and not be picky about the work you're doing, the clients you're taking on, the way you're going about things. And before you know it, you end up very unbalanced, not just because you're doing it all, but because you're doing a lot for people who don't respect your time, who don't get you, who you don't get. And that misalignment is a big piece of the puzzle to why so many of us feel unbalanced because balance isn't just about that seesaw. And in fact, I would argue it's really not about a seesaw. Again, go back to that other episode that I talked about, you know, what is work-life balance in the first place? It's about how you feel, okay? So this is part of the balance puzzle. And this is partly why, you know, being more productive, being more efficient, having good time management skills doesn't really solve our problems. Maybe it helps on the edges, but it doesn't really solve the problem because it's not the big problem to why you feel so unbalanced. All right, so that was caveat number one. You can't really have it all. You don't really want it all. It's time to figure out what you actually want, okay, based on your priorities, your values, your needs, and let go of all the other stuff. Caveat number two, and I think this one is a big one, and this is one I see a lot. Balance does not mean you don't work hard You never work long hours, and you never do things that you don't like. There is a balance between these things. There's this belief, partly thanks to fellow life coaches, that loving what you do means loving every moment, every task, every person, which, let's be honest here, that's an impossible standard, y'all. It's just not realistic. It's not how people work. It's not how life works. Case in point. My husband, whom I love, orders stuff online that we don't really need, and it's stuff that maybe would be useful, maybe could be helpful in the future, but it's not stuff we absolutely need. And we'll get these things, and because he doesn't want to forget about them, he won't ever put them away. Like, he won't find a place for them. So for six months, and often longer, they will sit on our formal dining room table, these things that he's not using, but he thinks he will use sometime soon. And it drives me insane, like totally bananas, y'all. Would I change this about him if I could? Yes, in a heartbeat. Despite all that, I still love him, right? I still want to be married to him. Think about this. If you can't love everything about your spouse, your child, your parent, your best friend, how can you possibly expect to love everything about what you do for a living? No matter how much you like it or love pieces of it. Here's the trick. The trick is in finding a career, an organization, a role, clients, industry, etc. that's enjoyable for you on the whole so that you can do the hard stuff, you can do the menial stuff, you can do the stuff you don't love or even like without a lot of complaint. That is a piece of the puzzle to what balance is. It's about being okay with it on the whole, not sweating the small stuff and enjoying it for the most part. Not balancing time, 
not trying to equalize some mythical, you know, imaginary seesaw with work on one side, life on the other, or the rest of life on the other. Because let's be real, work is part of life, right? And it doesn't mean you're never going to work long hours. Now, let me be clear. Like if you, I'm going to give this as an example because I think it's easier to do it this way. There was this moment in my career. I had two young kids at home. I was a young partner. I was building my book of business. I'd gone to the 1 million mark. I wanted to get above it. I was building towards that 2.5 million that I eventually got to. And the economy was not great in my industry at that moment. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And something called dip facilities, which are debtor in possession, it's basically when an entity goes into bankruptcy and wants to come out the other side is still still a viable entity. And dip facilities are the loan facilities that banks will give to those entities during that time period where they're trying to figure out what they're doing and they're restructuring and they get, you know, they're in the bankruptcy kind of throws, right, with the bankruptcy court. And they're interesting. There's a lot of interesting legal issues and they don't come up very often. And I had done them as a younger lawyer, but I hadn't really done one in a long time. And one came up for a client, a great client that I love doing work for. They wanted to do a dip facility and they wanted to know if I could do it. Now, here's the thing with dips. They're very, very quick and very time consuming because you have to figure out a lot of things and you're helping this company reorganize and get rid of their debts and they're doing it within a very truncated period of time. It means a lot of work in a short amount of time. So when they came to me, I knew, okay, this means for the next four to eight weeks, depending on how long this takes, I'm going to be crazy busy. I'm going to be working late hours at night, most nights. I'm going to be working most weekend days. I'm going to work a lot. And it's it's going to suck, right? Do I want to do it? So I had to sit there and think through, is this worth it to me? And at the end of the day, I said, yes, it really is. It was worth it to me. I wanted to do it. It was a challenging project. It was an interesting project. It was one that would help me. But I had rules around it. So here's where this comes in. Like, it doesn't mean you never work hard. You never work long hours. Sometimes what we do, we are required to do those things. But I had rules. And my rules were, I always leave by 4 p.m. on Fridays. I never work before a certain time on Sundays, and I always have Saturday evenings with my family. So I had some time in there to be with my kids, to be with my spouse, to do things, to go to church on Sunday mornings. These were my rules. I still worked a lot of hours during that time period. I still worked really late into the night, and I still worked pretty much every single weekend day during that time period. And I think it went for about seven or eight weeks. My other rule was I will not take on another facility or another anything that will give me this many hours again for at least three to four months after this is done. I'll have normal work, quote unquote. So it doesn't mean you never do work hard, but it means you do it in a very intentional manner when it makes sense and you're not always doing it. So again, this is about being super intentional about when you work hard, how you work hard, why you work hard. And again, I think I said this earlier, balance is not about balancing time. It's about how you feel. When I took on that dip facility, was I tired at times? Yes. 
but I was actually really energized and inspired because I was doing something that I wanted to do. There was a purpose behind it. I knew what that was. I was learning a lot. And I was very intentional about how I went about doing it. I also had another podcast earlier this year around balance being about that feel. And instead of focusing and over-focusing on this equilibrium of balance that we tend to go after, right, to really think through your energy levels and focus on that instead. And I'm going to link to that as well in the show notes. So now you have two episodes to go listen to if you have not heard them. And even if you have heard them, you might want to go back and listen because I have found both myself within my clients and just people I know that oftentimes we hear what we need to hear in the moment, but we can't hear everything, right? Through a podcast, a show, even when we read articles. So it's really nice to go back and revisit things every so often because you're going to get something new out of it every single time based on what you need at that time. All right. So that was caveat number two. Caveat number three. I just said you will have to work hard, maybe even long hours from time to time. That doesn't mean you do it most of the time. So again, what do you actually want and what is it worth to you? That is the intentionality that I was talking about before, that intentionality I had when I took on that dip facility. The other question to ask is how could you do it more strategically to minimize your time and get a better ROI? Now, this isn't always going to be applicable here, right? Oftentimes we are very strategic and there isn't something else. But you know what? There are ways to be strategic. There are ways to minimize your time, your input, and get a better ROI. Could you delegate something? Could you have a system around something? Systems are really important to delegation, by the way, and uh, which is why, be on the lookout, we will be talking about it, about how, you know, what systems are, how to create systems, where to get started. So I want you to be on the lookout for that. But, you know, ask these questions and figure out a way to be super intentional about the hard work that you're putting in, because the last thing you want is just to take everything. Again, it's like, if you start to do too much and you're not intentional about it, you're going to fall into the trap of trying to do and have it all. Much like my friend who recently reached out to me, former colleague and friend who said they are on pace to bill an insane amount of hours for the year because work is just so busy. Well, you know what? He can say no, but he's not. He's not being strategic about what he says yes and what he says no to. He has no guardrails built in, no boundaries. You must have those. And it is okay to say no upon occasion, even to clients that you adore working for, because it just doesn't make sense. There was one time when, uh, one winter where I said no to my best and most favorite client because I just couldn't take any more work on. Now, could I have? Maybe. But I don't think I would have done the best job, not only on that, but on all the other work I had. And I told them that. And they respected me for it and thanked me for being honest with them about it. And guess what? The next year, I grew their business even more. And I mentioned delegation already. So it's really important when you ask yourself these questions, you know, how can I be more strategic? How can I minimize my time? How can I get a better ROI of what I'm investing in, the time spent, the energy spent? Also, how can I get help from others? We lawyers are so bad about going solo, as I call it. We like to prove ourselves. 
We like to, to prove we can do it both to ourselves and to others. We like to think that somehow it's some badge of honor to be able to do everything on our own. It's not. I would say that probably 80% plus of my clients at a minimum come to me without having much support at all. And out of those people, 98% of them at least could have more support. They've just chosen not to. This is one area I work with them on. Where can you find support? Where can you implement systems to help with that support so that you can trust it more? Where can you do less? Ask yourself, do I say or think this? I'm going to list a couple of common excuses. I've been burned. I can't trust people. It'll be done better if I do it or quicker if I do it. I feel like an imposter. Everybody else seems to have their stuff all together. And so I can't talk to anybody or even let them know I need help. You need support. It is time to start asking for help from peers, from team members, from mentors, maybe from a coach. Maybe you need to hire somebody part-time or even get a contract attorney or VA or something. It very much depends on where you are in your business, where you work. So you're going to have to figure this out. And that last comment, by the way, that I feel like an imposter. Everybody else seems to have it together. So I'm too afraid to speak up to let people know I'm not sure what I'm doing or I don't know what to do here or I need support. You know, I can't do this all by myself. This one I hear so much And I heard it throughout my career when I would start speaking, like, this is how I feel. If I admit it, I felt that way. It's like all of a sudden, (laughs) it would open up with others and they'd be like, oh my God, me too. Guess what? Everybody feels that way, at least at some point. And most of us feel that way at least a little bit all of the time because you're not supposed to know everything. You're not supposed to be able to do everything. Human beings are made to connect with one another. And the best way to connect with one another is to help people using your own strengths and gifts and talents and skills, which means, by the way, that you're not always going to be the giver. You need to be the receiver too. Other people need to be able to do that as well. This is why I started my mastermind, y'all, because I hear this complaint about feeling unsupported feeling like you're isolated, feeling like you, you have nobody to talk to. The thing is, and this is what my mastermind participants find out very quickly, you're not alone. You're not the only one who feels this way. You're not the only one dealing with these things. Everybody else has this too. And there is something so freeing when you open up about how you feel and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Not only is it freeing and like super relieving, But it gives you the confidence that you thought you didn't have to go out there and try new things because you realize everybody else feels the same. And so, okay, they actually won't judge me. Maybe they'll look at me for trying this new thing or doing this other thing that nobody else has done this way. They'll look at me as a role model instead. It gives you confidence and starts to make you realize it's okay to admit your imperfections. It's okay to go to people and talk about what you're struggling with. It's okay to ask for help in numerous ways, whether it's asking a peer for help because you've got too much work and you just need to get rid of some, whether it's asking 
a, you know, uh, somebody on your team to do something for you and letting go and letting, you know, trusting that they can do it, whether it's asking for a mentor or a coach to help you with something you're struggling with to figure out, okay, how do I need to change how I think about this and how I approach this? There's a lot of ways, small to big, that we all need help. Start opening up and you will see better results along with less stress levels and more balance. All right, caveat number four. And this is a big one that I want you to really think about. How much money do you need? How much money do you want? Have you even asked this question? Asking the question of how much, how much is enough, and frankly, it doesn't always apply to money, although I I see this with money the most, so I'm using that, but it could also apply to how much respect how much prestige, how much control, how much power, whatever it is that relates to the goal that you've set for your business, your career, that you're working really hard towards that's got you unbalanced, have you asked how much is enough? Probably not. We very rarely do. We all seem to assume more is better, (laughs) but not always, right? Because when we get to enough, maybe it makes sense to pivot, to do something else, to go after something else, and not work ourselves to the bone for more of something we don't really care about as much anymore, or we don't need once we get to a certain level. Something I saw a lot throughout my career, this started in my first law firm, when I would see at the end of the year, partners were printing out printouts of you know, all a list of all the partners, a list of their originations, their billables, and then the bonuses they were getting at the end of the year, basically based on their originations and billables. And they would sit there and compare themselves to everybody else and complain about other people who seemed to make more and it didn't make sense to them why they were making so much more money. I left that firm because I didn't really like the, that culture. And some people like that culture. They want it. They want to know what everybody's making. And they, I didn't like it because I felt like it just set everybody up for like backstabbing and fighting all the time. And it, it wasn't a healthy place for me based on what my values are to be. So I chose a firm where I made partner and stayed as a partner that didn't do it that way. Everything was more closed. But then you'd always find out, right? You'd hear about other people, what they made and what their originations were and what their revenues were and, you know, what their actual collections were and how much work they gave out and all these different things. And there was always people who were never satisfied. And they were never satisfied very rarely because they felt like they had been screwed over, but because of what other people made. And I think that's a really big mistake to make. Why does it matter what other people make. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that if, let's say you get word that everybody or most everybody in a particular group of people make a lot more than you when all of the billables and collections and all those numbers are pretty much similar and yours is way below theirs. And it's obvious you've been you know, there's some bias against you. That is different, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is this constant comparison against other people. So my rule of thumb is, first off, you need to understand what is enough and what is worth it. 
right? So how much is enough and how much are you willing to do to make that? And do those two line up? Sometimes we're not realistic in that area. You've got to make very intentional decisions about this, y'all. Otherwise, you're just going to go out and keep doing, 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 and pushing, 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 and maybe working yourself for no reason. And also not understanding what the requirements are to make that. Maybe how much you deem enough changes once you really look at it realistically of what is required. All right, caveat five. Understand that how you define success, what you want, how hard you are able and willing to work and be okay with is going to change over time. It will change depending on your circumstances, depending on what season of life you're in, and so on. What you wanted 10 years ago was probably not what you want now. What you will want 10 years from now will be different than what you want now. It's really easy to start with this big vision or goal and then work tirelessly towards that, but forget to check in regularly to figure out, um, do I still want that? Be sure you check in with yourself at least annually. You want to look at the bigger picture, consider what's going on in your life and the season you're in, and then re-ask all of those questions we've been talking about today. And, at, you know, get specific. What do I want really? I like that in there. We don't like to use those types of words when we write. But when you're asking yourself these questions, you do want to ask it. What do I really want? Make sure it's what you want, not what others expect of you. Or what you once wanted and think you should still want even though you don't. How do I want to feel? What does success mean to me? How much is enough? These are going to change. So at least annually, you want to do this. This is something that I do with my clients individually and within my mastermind as well. And it works really well. Checking in. you got to ask these questions every single year before you set your new goals. you got to kind of recreate your vision. You might have a vision you started with, and it's okay to start there, but you've got to ask those tough questions to ensure it's the right vision And make sure you don't need to change it because it probably will change at least a little bit every single year. And over time, that change will be big. Also, another thing to note, I mentioned circumstances. Sometimes things in life happen that massively change your vision that you could never have anticipated. So when big life events happen, maybe (laughs) like with me, it was a cancer diagnosis and then getting over that. Maybe it's a death in the family. Maybe it's something happening that you just couldn't have anticipated that isn't necessarily bad, but has changed your outlook, right? When those types of life events happen, you also want to take stock. Now, one note is you usually don't want to take stock when in the middle of it. You want to kind of get through it. Let the certainty of what you've been doing surround you. It helps you while you're getting through it. And then when you get to the other side and you start to feel more grounded Again, like, okay, I've gotten through that. I'm through that phase. That's when to check back in because oftentimes those events will have changed you in some way, shape, or form, which will change your vision, your goals, what you want, your definition of success, how much you think is enough. Here is what I want you to walk away with from today's episode. Three things. Thing number one, 
Be intentional. You can make good money, you can have a thriving law practice, and you can have a balanced life, but only if you are super intentional about it. Most of us are not. We tend to just go with the flow, do what others do, and hope it all works out. That's how you end up spending most of your time doing things that are not all that important to you, working with people you don't really like, and feeling frustrated, maybe even disillusioned with your progress, your trajectory, and the achievements you've made. Again, this is why one of the first things I do with my business clients and within my mastermind is to get super clear around who I'm working with, their personality, their strengths, their goals, their values, so that we can intentionally answer the questions we've been through today. It is the foundation to setting the right goals and putting together the right strategies for achieving those goals. The ones that are actually going to make you happy. Be intentional. Thing number two, stop looking to others and start asking yourself the right questions. Comparison is not going to do you any good. It does not matter what someone else has achieved, what they make, or the respect they have within the community. That has no bearing on you. And all of those things are attainable by you. But only if you start asking yourself the right questions, the ones we've been through today. It is part of being intentional, but also really about being honest with yourself about what success means to you, about how to go about achieving what you want, about how much is actually enough, about what you're willing to do to get the things you want. Maybe you can still get them, but it's going to take a little longer. Start asking the right questions. And then thing number three, have support, y'all. Seek out and build a rock-solid support system. You need mentors. You need colleagues and peers you trust. You need outside-of-law even people who can help you, maybe a coach like me. I would also say, though, you need to see your friends and family and people that don't do what you do as mentors as well, mentors in life. Oftentimes, when you share what you're struggling with with people like that, they will see things from a very different perspective than you and other lawyers will, which is helpful, by the way. Have a rock-solid support system. People who will have your back, who will tell you when you're not being honest with yourself, who will mirror your strengths back to you, who will listen to you openly and give you honest feedback when you ask them, but also in a nice way, right? With the intent to help you. People who are going to help you stretch yourself, people who will teach you new things you didn't know or new ways to think, and so on. All right. That is it for today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. Again, if you are interested in something like the mastermind, which has the goal of helping you grow your book of business without burning out while giving you all of that support we talked about, I highly recommend you join the waitlist so that you can be the first to hear about it when it comes back this fall. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life and Law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.